I am Lucia. And I'm Nadia. In Who Rose the World podcast, we will talk about the European Union and United Nations and all the burning world issues that our generation will have to face when our time comes to rule the world. Welcome back to another episode of Who Rules the World podcast. And in this episode, we are hosting two incredible youth delegates, Johanna Lischlack, the former youth delegate from Germany, and Hang Lee, the youth delegate of Finland. Johanna and Hang, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. So the topic of this episode will be the issue of ensuring decent jobs for young people as a key component of achieving the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And we will also be touching upon the initiatives that have been implementing to promote decent work for young people. The episode is filmed in the scope of the upcoming ECOSOC Youth Forum, which will focus on the theme of accelerating the recovery from COVID-19 and the full implementation of the 2030 Agenda of Sustainable Development at all levels. So the decent work is obviously a fundamental human right and the focus of the SDG 8. And yet young people around the world continue to face significant barriers to finding and secure decent employment opportunities. This is a problem that is not only affects individuals, but has a wider implications for the achievement of all SDGs, including SDGs such as poverty reduction, gender equality, and economic growth. So, Hank, if we just jump right in into our conversation, what would you say are some of the main challenges for young people when it comes to getting decent jobs and finding decent employment opportunities? I think there's a lot of um, issues if we talk about decent job and labor market overall. Um, I would like to just mention that this is quite EU or, or Nordic um, view on this, but what we have seen that uh, there's a lot of uh, growth in geek economy. So there's a lot of jobs where um, young people just don't have a contract or they might have a contract, but it's relatively small. So that uh, affects their uh, scheduling on work and they might have to do overwork or they might do even eight days in a row with one days uh, one day off uh, during 10 days period or such, just because they don't have a contract that would support them. Um, in the in the labor market. So I think geek economy is something very interesting and, and concerning for young people, uh, especially if we consider this from the Nordic view. Uh, another one I think that is, is very concerning is that um, young people might not know their rights. So what comes to contracts and, and such, um, sometimes they don't pay all, all the things that they supposed to be paying and also uh if we talk about leaves uh summer leaves and such they might just forget forget those and sometimes even they pay this kind of internship wage which is which might be less than the original wage they they have been talking about so um on the contract side and knowing uh rights in labor markets also um, a thing that I think young people might face. And of course, it is good to take like an intersectional view on things as well. So if we think about the most vulnerable groups in, in our society, so such as refugees, or asylum seekers, or uh, people with disabilities, um, often the limits are there and it's really difficult to get uh, any job really or any contract and, and the legislation itself can uh, put a lot of barriers to get into any uh, employment. So that is also very concerning. 
Thank you so much and really interesting. I think something that concerns me quite a lot when we talk about uh, economic growth and employment is really that uh, we as a society is really not good at including young people in the decision making related to, to those kind of topics. We often get involved when it's about uh, you know, young people or maybe climate, but, you know, the tough economic stuff uh, or employment, not always something where, uh, you know, society is good at that. Uh, so, Johanna, a really one million question for you is really what is your view on what we can do to ensure that young people's voices are heard when it comes to decision making processes related to employment and economic growth uh, and what really can be done to to empower us as young people to take action? Thank you for the question, Nadia. Um, I think one thing that Hung already said, I, I just want to pick it up, is um, knowing your rights. So um, what's really important, obviously, for young people is to know to know their rights at work. I mean, we, we grow up, we go to school, we um, have maybe vocational training, we have job training, and then um, we go to university, we enter the, the labor market, and nobody really taught us our rights at work. So First of all, getting to know getting to know your rights at work, getting to know uh, what are the regulations for certain fields, what are the re regulations in your country, what are the regulations if you work in a different country. I think that's um, sort of the first basic step. And then um, you already touched upon that, but participation, I think, is the other wing of this um, of this enabler for for young people um, to to have better access to decent work. Again, coming from a European perspective, coming from a German perspective, uh, unions play a big part. So a lot of labor unions are like sector specific, but they also have youth wings. So I would say um, getting involved with that and sort of strengthening their participation, strengthening their input into the legislation that's being made about work is really something valuable um, and will overall like support youth rights at work and, and the start for young people into the labor market. Amazing uh, and an interesting perspective with uh, the youth wings of labor organization. So kind of same question to to Hong, but also just if you have some concrete examples of how young people have successfully uh, been involved in promoting uh, decent work for for us as young people, and also you know whether there's any of these initiatives that you know uh, could maybe be used uh, to scale up impacts from a broader perspective. I think that. For example, I think in, in uh, Denmark and in Finland now, we have a youth delegate for labor, right? Um, I think that is well also one way to kind of build discussion there. So what our um, youth delegate for labor does is that um, they talk with the Ministry of uh, Labor and Unions and such, and they might um, talk, uh, discuss, they, they might discuss about the issues uh, going in that sector and also what the ministry could do to uh, protect um, young people's uh, labor rights. In Finland, there's quite a lot of uh, summer um, job campaigns to protect young people's rights. So they share a lot of uh, small papers, they share a lot of information online and do social media campaigning on what are the rights and um, how to read a contract uh, if you get one for the summer and such. So that is also a way to do it. And another amazing um, initiative is also the EU's Youth Employment Initiative, which aims to reduce youth unemployment and also promote social inclusion. 
And another area where it is clear that young people have not been consulted and have not been taken into consideration is obviously the area of the unpaid or even paid internships. SEG AIDS as a whole promotes sustained, inclusive and sustainable economic growth, full and productive employment and decent work for all. However, unpaid internships contradict probably all of the aims of this goal uh, by deepening economic inequality and also limited access to opportunities for a lot of young people. However, recently, the Fifth Committee prepared a resolution that requests the United Nations Secretariat to present a fully-fledged rejuvenation strategy and also report on fairer conditions for internships. So this is clearly a very big step for young people, and especially those who want to work either in the UN bubble or in any other uh, internship positions. Uh, so Johanna, could you maybe elaborate a bit on why this resolution could or is so important for young people? Um, and how do the paid internships contribute to economic inequalities among youth? Yeah, thank you, Lucia. That's a really, really important point um, uh, to talk about unpaid internships. I think it's something that has found a lot of attention in, in recent years and a lot of uh, changes underway. It's really, really great that the UN um, is realizing that that is uh, an issue both globally but also within their own ranks. Um, this resolution uh, that was presented in the fifth committee um, with the rejuvenation strategy, I think, is really, really, you know, comes at a time where the UN, I think, needs to think about its future in terms of uh, what it is offering um, people as a workplace, what it what it is like for people to work there. Um, I think they the UN has. Um, an increasing prob problem looking at the demography of its staff with the large amounts of people that are going to go into retirement soon and um, needs to think about the future and how to get young people actually excited about working there. I mean, um, from, from personal experience, actually, um, I interned around the United Nations, not with an agency, but with a, with a, um NGO around the United Nations in 2019 when the first agencies were starting uh, to pay interns. And I realized that there are so many people really, really excited about um, interning at the UN, interning in the space, and then they grow disillusioned very quickly. They are not paid. And um, just in general, I think um, this growing disillusionment um, sort of is, is something that the UN needs to take seriously and that um, this rejuvenation strategy through the resolution shows that they are taking it seriously. So it's a really important first step. And on the second part of the question, the unpaid internships um, question, I mean, you've already really given, I think, a good outline of why they perpetuate this economic inequality. So if you um, if you can afford to work for free, um, often you've had to work really hard beforehand to save up in order to do that. You come from a background where maybe you have um, support from your family or um it's it's not possible for everyone to, to to work for free and to get into these positions. And I think it sort of snowballs into a larger effect into one's career later on if if you have the opportunity to do um such a thing for an extended amount of time. Um and yeah, that obviously leads you to better career um chances in the future and that just sort of perpetuates um the gap in career growth between those people that can afford to do that and those people that cannot and we really need to close this gap and we one step we can by in which how we can do that is um by paying interns so very important i agree uh and it's not only uh, young people and and interns who 
face uh, challenges uh, when it comes to, to working condition. Another important perspective is gender equality when it really comes to uh, decent work. Uh, so another question for you, Johanna, is really uh, how do you think we can include the gender perspective and how can we also build relationship across generations and regions to really overcome uh, the gender perspectives when it comes to decent work? Ooh, it's another really big topic that you're opening up here. Um, can I can I ask a, a question sort of uh, for the audience, which is um, what what even is decent work and what is work? What do we see as work? What do we count as work? I think um, the gender perspective is super super crucial, or it really impacts um, economies in the way that the things that we consider work is often work um, where a lot of the work that's traditionally being done by women falls out of what we even consider work so what i'm what i'm hinting at basically is that a lot of the care work and the you know day-to-day -day running of households taking care of children um raising children future or not even future members of society current members of society that will in the future you know be in in leadership positions and that is a huge sector that we overlook when we talk about decent work only in the terms of jobs that generate salary generate taxpayers money so so i want to just reframe sort of the question um what is work and if we reframe that i think we can think about the gender inequality question in relation to work in a very good way um but if we look at this traditional sector of what we traditionally count as work or the, what we count as as work under the under the decent work um sdg I think um, a lot of barriers for women are, um, it's kind of difficult to, to assess whether it's a formal barrier or an informal barrier. I think a lot of it comes from um, different societal expectations uh, for women in the workplace. So the self-image, I think, of a lot of, a lot of young women starting out as jobs being maybe more content with making slower steps in a career than a male counterpart would. This is kind of a an interpersonal angle to a structural issue that I wouldn't know where to start putting the lever, except maybe this thing that I said before, which is recognizing care work and, and recognizing all the things women do as work that are outside of formal workplaces. And I'm going to make a point there. <laughs> I think the fact that the question was so hard to answer kind of speaks for itself and just shows how much really have to address and talk about the gender perspective, especially when it comes to decent work. And I could see, you know, Nadia and I were both nodding, especially, you know, trying to also put into words everything that we are experiencing as young girls and young women just starting out in our career paths and in the work jobs. So we certainly opened a lot of big questions and a lot of questions that we could probably be talking on for hours and hours. Uh, but now if we circle back a little bit to the the event that is happening in New York um, as we are filming this podcast, and that is the Ecosakia Forum. Um, maybe a question for Hank. So what would you say is also the role of the Ecosoc Youth Forum in advancing the issues of decent work for young people? And what are some of the key messages or the takeaways that you want to see after the forum ends? Maybe also in relation to the other SDGs and those that are in review at this year's Ecosaki Forum. 
Uh, I think there's so many. <laughs> uh, I will just mention a couple of those, but I think the human rights perspective is um, uh, really important. So I would hope that they would talk a lot more about refugees and asylum seekers' rights in the in the labor market overall, and and how to kind of create complementary pathways on a global level so that uh, we can ensure human rights protection and such, and also. Um, enhance the economy if, if that's the right way to say it and also um again this comes to the mobility aspect so there are some researchers that have mentioned that of uh, for example international students uh, it is really you know difficult to get employed to a country where you go to exchange so um how can we on the national level ensure that um people uh coming from from abroad uh coming exchange exchanging in the country how can they be um involved in the labor markets on a national level is also i think it's a, a key um and of course people with disabilities how can we create more uh opportunities to getting involved with labor markets and how um we break barriers, break, break discrimination in the labor markets and uh, improve employability in each sector um, is really important as well. To follow up on that, another conference that has really been focusing on uh, labor market rights and, and job creation is the Commission for, for Social Development. And we know that both of you have participated in, in that conference. And I really just wanted to, to hear one uh, highlight from, from Johanna in regards to how that was and, and maybe just one thing that, that you would look least took uh, with you uh, from participating in, in that conference. Great question. Um, so CSEP, the, the Commission on Social Development, the 61st one uh, in February this year was the last UN conferences, conference I attended in my in, in my mandate and, and whom was there as well. We worked really closely together there. It was really um, a very productive time, I think, for both of us. Um, what CSEP did was that it connected SDG 8, so the decent work topic, with uh, SDG 10, reducing inequalities, which I think was really crucial because set in this time where we are sort of post-COVID, post post-pandemic, um, trying to overcome all of the setbacks that the pandemic has brought upon us. Um, it was really, I think, the, the a really good time for CSOPD to focus on this. Trying to think a little bit about a key, key experience there, I think what was really powerful was that a lot of the youth delegates attending and working within their government delegations on CSOCD um, united around similar topics. So the unpaid internships thing that we talked about earlier in this podcast uh, was really, I think, one of the key demands that we have almost all uh, brought forward. So that was really powerful. And I think that shows that it's not an issue only in one type of country or another type of country, but it's really something that affects all of us. And yeah, I think CSOCD in general, maybe I want to give some some broader perspective as to the politicization of CSOCD, which was really not very high. So it was it meant for for us youth delegates that there was the I mean, in general, I think youth delegates have a have a, a large amount of um, being able to to interact with each other and work together. But I think because CSOCD even was such a um, felt unfortunately like such a um 
there was not so much media and public attention on the topic. Um, so I think it was really a space where we could get into the issues way more than the other conferences where there's a lot more buzz buzz around it. So, yeah, I just wanted to add uh, to Johanna's comment about um, how the discussion was not that um, politicized or such. Um, I felt that the overall discussion was quite um, technical, um, but there wasn't a lot of um, things that would look for the future. So we talk about the COVID, we talk about the current issues, but there was not really anything moving forward there. And that, that was kind of uh, fortunate to hear. And also, um, considering human rights and considering um, especially migrant workers' rights, uh, refugees' rights and such, uh, it was really, there wasn't a lot of mentioning about that. Uh, it was more like, countries where were they and they just were talking about like what we've done during the COVID to um, save the uh, employment or or keep the um, employment high or such. So I think um, overall the perspective of going into different directions fully and deeply, um, it kind of lacked, but um, I wish that this there would there will be some kind of corrections um, during the ECOSOC Youth Forum. Could I maybe just very briefly um, also touch upon the youth resolution that was uh, negotiated during the CISAGD? Could you maybe elaborate a bit on how that process went and were you able to actually be present in the negotiations and input the resolution just a little bit so we have an overall idea how it is negotiating the resolution? About the youth resolution, uh, overall, I think, um, in our mission, we were included quite well. So what they did that um, we got the resolutions, we got to read those and we did uh, get the chance to even comment on those. And uh, based on that, our negotiator talked in the uh, meetings and such. So uh, I think overall, from my perspective, the involvement was good, but I think it lacked kind of like overall coordination between all young people from across uh, the global level. So uh, I think that although we gave some perspectives, it was very difficult to emphasize our voice because we couldn't uh, come to one space and uh, make our statement there or make our kind of like uh, points there and also put it into the youth resolution. So for the future, I hope that uh, we are able to be more coordinated with the resolution work um, as youth delegates. I think we have to acknowledge that um, resolutions are always sort of the minimum, minimum standard and the minimum agreement that all of these countries can can come to. So in terms of um, in terms of our ambition, I think it depends really on the background um, that you have when you go into negotiations or when you go into looking at what the outcomes uh, can be. I just wanted to to point out that there was a really um, good room for us, given organized by UNDESA, actually, given with the key negotiators of the youth resolution, which was Portugal, I think Kazakhstan, um, Cabo Verde, I'm and Senegal, I think. Um, and I just wanted to to sort of give my appreciation for that framework being given because we had, I think, two briefings with them where they went through all of the additions to the resolution, all of the key points and their perspectives on them. So that was really useful for us to learn and for us to give um, our perspective and um, also engage with the negoti negotiators of these very different countries, which um, I think was something that was kind of 
worldview broadening for 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 us I agree uh and and definitely also agree with the fact that still uh, a lot of things uh, remains to be done uh but at least uh with every resolution like this uh we're at least taking tiny steps in the right direction towards uh, more meaningful youth participation also at the labor market uh thank you so much to johanna lickschlag who's a former un youth delegate from germany and to Hong Lee, who is one of the current UN Youth delegates from Finland, who has really managed to talk about gender issues, internships, and uh, the Commission for, for Social Development. So a lot of different directions, but uh, really one thing that we conclude on is that young people need to be involved when it comes to ensuring that we can really participate paid, uh, meaningfully in the labor markets and also have our rights respected. Thank you so much for you two for joining uh, and have a lovely day. Thank you. Thanks for having us. This was Who Rules the World podcast by European Union Youth Delegates Lucia and Nadia. WRW coming soon with next episode on SoundCloud and other platforms.